You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. until it finally ended up on my bathroom. <laughs> and there's, I think there's been a dime in the middle of my floor in my bedroom for like two weeks Well, now. I can't do anything about the dimes on your floor, but if there are dimes on my floor, I'd probably just put them in a fit. Isn't there a coin shortage right now? Yeah, there is. Well, you can't have mine. Fuck off. <laughs> Why is there a coin shortage? Where, where are they? People have been eating them for so long, and they're like, we're not going to just keep taking coins out of people's rectums and putting them back into I circulation. Don't understand how, like, like, where are the coins? Like, they just are in car- always rotating through people. I think they get rid of some at some point. Why? Well, then, you clearly, whoever, whoever okay. got rid of too many, I hope they're fired. You did the thing. This is on you. <laughs> You know what happened to all of the fucking coins? They turned into squished pennies. It's your fault. You ruined the economy. Solely. Alone. (laughs) I do have a lot of (laughs) I actually need to get another book because the Tinkerbell one is full and I have more squished pennies than I can put in there. Look, they're just pennies. Technically, they should do away with pennies anyways. That's true. Because pennies cost more to make than they're worth. Yeah, it's bullshit. You're right. There's a, but there's not as many Swiss quarters as there's. Oh no, I'm just saying you have to pay quarters to get your. Yeah, but that goes back into the economy because that's how economy works. French boy at Disney was so looking this is for one of our good stories. Okay, so I, if you couldn't tell, I love squish pennies. It's one of the. Disney has a squish penny issue, but it's like one of the instead of like it's every, a nice issue yeah, like and that. it's like everybody likes getting things when they go places, and I just really like squish pennies. That's like my little souvenir that I want to buy. That I'm Shop here for a shitty liner. And Martha wants shitty lighters. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, just something small, something cheap, and I like Swish pennies. So, we're at Disney. Yes. And well, we're Disney World, specifically. And we are in Epcot, and obviously, Epcot has all the different, like, countries, countries in it. So, we started in France, and we got some food, and we got some drinks, and we're walking around the shop, and they have a squish penny in the machine in there. So, I go up to the cashier, and another thing that Disney likes to do, if you don't know, is they like to, uh, well, Disney, but it's Epcot, they like to try to hire people from the the country that you're visiting. So we were in France, and I, so I go up to the cashier, and he's this cute little French boy. He's probably like 16, 17 yeah. years old. I think 17 at the oldest. Yeah. Yep. And um, I give him a dollar, and I just ask for change, and ask for three quarters, and then five pennies, and then, you know, whatever, two dimes, whatever. So he gives me the other change, and I see him shuffling through his pennies and picking specific ones out. And I was like, are you looking for specific pennies? He's like, well, you're going for the squish penny, right? I want to make sure you get a nice shiny one. (laughs) And it was so 
cute and he had a little French accent and it was so I adorable will and I think you. I think I, I literally was like oh my god you're so cute. like I was like she cried about it too <laughs> yeah yeah i was also already on, well on my way to no not yet no we were only in we started in france no italy was, once italy was at, by the time we were in italy because we italy's where i broke up my cup remember because <laughs> i had the bellini yeah. i was really excited because we had bellini colored glasses i sent a picture of it and then i immediately smashed the bottom of it <laughs> <laughs> So I couldn't put it down anymore. Uh, I it. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Was was Italy was after Japan too, right? I think so. I don't remember. Yeah, we went to five countries though. Yes, in two and a half hours. Yes. We drank our, at five countries. We Did we don't. We walked through, but we like jetted through Germany and, yes. and, and America. We mm-hmm. didn't. We didn't stop at them because we were like, we are drinking yes. hard alcohol. We I don't doing want beer. No. Yeah. Not here for like fucking um, sausages. Yeah, so it was like two um, and a half hours and five drinks, and by the time we went back over to the Magic Kingdom, we were pretty fucking drunk. Mm-hmm. And then we realized, as an adult, you need to spend a whole day at Epcot. Well, now we know. Now we know. Okay, Martha and I also decorated for Halloween. Yeah, everything's Put our Halloween cute. Decorations out. Yeah, we have to get a few more because, unfortunately, all my Halloween decorations are still in Massachusetts because I haven't been able to go home and get them. Thanks, COVID. Thanks, COVID. Thanks, but people who don't wear their masks. I have a real job now, so I was like, I'm gonna buy myself a still dollar store Some Halloween. Fucking it's fine. Oh my god, they're the best dollar I've ever spent. We yeah. bought these two pumpkins and they are amazing. Literally, if your lights are off, like it was lighting up our ceiling. Like these pumpkins it's lighting stand- up my light. I hate you. <laughs> these pumpkins are dollar store pumpkins that stand at like three inches tall. And they're that we fucking will amazing. Take a picture of yes. them. Yes. So we're going to go buy a bunch more and then just light up our apartment with them and have a rave. So here we are, Halloween decorations ready to go. This is going to be our uh, right before October mm-hmm. starts. Leading into Leading into spooky nonsense. So get ready for that because that's going to mm-hmm. happen all October. Yeah. Anyways, back on to the fact that it's episode 23. Episode 23. Episode 23. I'm Brittany Vitrino. I'm Martha Bartlett. And this is But First, Let's Talk Nerdy. Clank! We have some new, trying some new stuff today. Bon Viv. Bon Viv. No. That's <laughs> just me being dickhead. By the Mermaid brand. New kind. It was on sale. So I was like, some of these flavors look pretty good. Let's try it out. Yeah. Most the coconut is a little too coconutty. It's a, it's a pineapple, pineapple coconut. So, this week, I am talking about Sabriel and the feminism that it represented and how it really changed a lot of young teen girls. Yes! Uh, okay. Oh, yes, I knew you would love this. I oh know you love this book. God. So, Sabriel is one of the... There's only a few books. There's a few books that got me into reading, and Sabriel yeah. was one of them. And I've read mostly all of them. We'll get into all of them that are yeah. out. It's so good. It's one of those books that I will always, always, always tell people yeah. to read. And even as an adult, 
it's still it's, good, it's right? still good. So I really I do want to. I was wishing you had your Sabriel, but I Ugh. think I have your Sabriel <laughs> in Massachusetts. Yeah, that might be it. So because I and I have and I still have L'Oreal and um a board a, I, a horse. Is that how you say it? So I've and always it, said it. It's funny. I've always said it. Sabriel Lyriel. And that horse. So I hate saying, yeah, I know that's the problem. So I say Sabriel L'Oreal and what I don't like saying is I feel like abortion is close to abortion and I hate it. (laughs) Which is why I don't like saying it. I like lean hard on the page. Yeah, abortion. Abortion. So I don't say it a lot, but it will come up. So it is, it is all, yeah, they're all fake names or so you just have to go with it. It's fantasy. And so it is how it is. Until the person tells you how yeah. to pronounce their name, you can just fucking guess. Uh, my sources. My sources. There you go. Are I did like a review or not a review a um a summary. That's the word. Oh my god, I don't know words right now. <laughs> I did a summary review um on schmoop dot com. <laughs> then I read part of an. Honor thesis by a Emily C. Lanning called Magical Woman Who Do Magic Without Being Men, a non-traditional female hero is in a world without gender norms. I'm so excited. Um, an article, and then I read an article in the Sydney Morning Herald by um, Andrew Taylor where he actually interviewed Garth Nix. So I have a couple oh, cool. of Garth Nix quotes in it. And I love Garth Nix. Beyond, I read a lot of his other books after I read this series. I loved it so much that I read, like, almost all of his other books that were out in that time. Yeah. I want to say borrowed, but I probably just stole both my copy of Sabriel and Lariel from friends. (laughs) Because I never gave them back. So, (laughs) So, yeah, so um, my friend had... We're going to keep saying the name differently. <laughs> yeah, no. One of those. <laughs> Garth Nix, hit us up. Tell us how you say your, their names. Many, many. Because probably read it close to when it came out. So it came out in 1995. Just kidding. I read it in middle school. Yeah. So I was probably like 12. Yeah. So Same. you probably read it around 2000, and I probably read it around 2002, 2003. Yep, My friend had it. it. I borrowed it, which is why I don't have Sabriel, but I have mm-hmm. L'Oreal and Aborcian. Yeah. Um, my, my friend had it, and I borrowed it, and then I never gave it back, which is why I have a bunch of books. <laughs> but to be fair, don't I let Martha borrow books. She apparently just steals them. I don't mean to, but then I move. And also, I no, just write your name in your books, and I'll give it back to you. Uh, really, it's your fault. <laughs> right there. We're laughing, but don't pick dumb blame. No, unless it's about dumb things. Unless it's about dumb things like that. That's okay, I guess. Okay, so, and then, of course, Wikipedia. So, Sabrina was first published in 1995 by Garth Nix. Um, and has many elements of the classic fantasy. There's swords, magic, world-saving journey, uh, the main character that really has no right to be taking on this fucking crazy journey, a prince, a power-mad wizard, and even talking animals, and in this case, it's a cat. Yes! I, oh, yes! <laughs> but it is far from a traditional fantasy novel. 
First, unlike most fantasy stories that have the character roster longer than the list of reasons why Chris Evans is perfect, Sabriel departs from the tradition, tradition and focuses on a girl as one girl being the uh, being forced in a tough situation, and then only a small handful of side characters. Like how I put Chris Evans in there because I didn't know else to bring him up. I did. I saw that happen in real time. Sabriel has all the regular fantasy things about the swords and the magic, but it is mostly dealing with death at a young age. And it's quite literally in her case, Mm -hmm. as we'll find out if you don't know what this book is. I just remembered. This is hysterical. I wrote... (laughs) Oh, God, where was this sentence going? No, we're good. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote a fanfiction where... I knew that was what was going to happen. I... Anthropomorphize all the bells into people. When I was like twelve, yeah, hopefully <laughs> <laughs> I could probably. I, I we are not posting it, but I'm gonna find it and see when I wrote it. Okay, continue. The fucking bells, like it wasn't weird, but it like it's, it wasn't any weirder than it is on the surface. There wasn't any like porn. Aspects. Yeah, but still. But no, it's weird enough. That's like that's. Just, it's so, like, middle school. <laughs> I was going to say, it's like a 13-year-old. Yeah. That, that's what a 13-year-old would think of. Which is fine, because that's true. But also, like, it's very embarrassing. <laughs> I'm very, very embarrassed. Uh, okay. Uh, for the readers, it also finally gave girls a female lead, not just a girl, a female that was a damsel of distress. Uh, it was the first book of the series, and with, there's currently five books, and there's actually supposed to be another one coming out in 2021. There are some, also some short stories that are part of this fantasy world. There are two sequels, and then one prequel, and then the one coming out will also be a prequel, and it's about her parents. Uh, oh, mm-hmm. 2003. 2003? I was 13, so you were, like, what, 15, 16? Too old. <laughs> officially so quick summary or as quick as a summary as I can do for the book so mm-hmm. you know what the fuck is going on uh, baby Sabriel makes a dramatic entrance into the magic world of the old kingdom which is their world by both her and her mother dying at birth boom done your turn that's the end, that's well, the end. well I hope you guys enjoyed <laughs> these five books <laughs> Um, this is such a good writer. <laughs> uh, no, just kidding. Luckily for Sabriel, her father is what is known as an abortion. Uh, this is a necromancer. There we go. He has the power to walk into death itself and send people in and out of this de- of death's alternate plane of existence. Should be a Netflix series. They're actually, I think, making movies. He's unable to save her mom, but he is able to venture into death and retrieve baby Sabriel from the clutches of a monster in death's literal icy river. So somehow we get the feeling that this isn't the last time we're going to see this monster who had baby Sabriel and disappears deep into death, leaving Sabriel very much alive so her father can save her. He does, however, end up fearing for her, so he sends her uh, to grow up and learn outside of the old kingdom where there is no magic but science instead. Right! Yes. 
I'm going to do that like 12 more times. (laughs) It's okay. So 18 years later is when the book begins. As Rose grown up as as a successful student at a Weaverly College in a place called Encel Street. Encel Stier? Encel Stier. It looks like French. So Sabrina and her father always set up these magical long distance chats, but when he misses the date for it, she starts to worry. Then that night, the creature from death arrives at Waverly and delivers Borsian's most prized possession to Sabriel, a set of necromantic bells and enchanted sword. Taking this as a sign that something is really bad for her father, she leaves school the next day to travel to the old kingdom in search of her father. Now, we want to note here, too, that she grew up not with her father. She grew up outside. So she's, like, afraid of the old kingdom. Like, which, like, she, she dawdles in magic. Her father has taught her some of the magic, but, like, what did I say? You said dawdles. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it was really cute. <laughs> oh, fuck. And there are some other, like, magic users at the school, but she lives in an area that's very scientific, electricity kind of base, as opposed mm-hmm. to floating candles, I assume, with magic. I feel like that's fair. That's how they, like, step up in magical worlds. There's just a random skull hand that... Skull hand? Oh, no. A skeleton hand. <laughs> We're in for an episode, everyone. If you didn't already know, it just keeps getting better. (laughs) Okay. So she leaves the next day to go to the Old Kingdom to search out her father. So she's not really sure where to start or where to go, but she decides that she needs to visit death in order to summon a spirit guide to help direct her to the Borsian's house, which is her dad's house, but it's like... Oh, (laughs) Borsian! Not dead, Papa. <laughs> Papa, question mark. All right, so how does one use magic in the Old Kingdom? It has magical nodes called charter stones that are scattered about the land. It's kind of like Wi-Fi hotspots or yeah, like, or like when you're cell towers. You like yeah, like what's it called? Stones and fucking Zelda. Martha's making a bad point here because she doesn't know what they're called. I don't. <laughs> I should. Chica, right? Yeah. And she's been taught some necromancy by her father, so she plans to visit one of the charter stones so that she can access death. When she gets there, though, she finds she realizes that the stone is broken, and it's because a charter mage, which is one of the Old Kingdom's powerful practicing wizards, was sacrificed on the stone. And this is just further evidence that something definitely is going on, and it's definitely not. Bad right. times. Mm-hmm. So she's like, let's not use this broken stone, especially since, like, some weird, creepy things are fucking wandering out of death because this stone is broken. (laughs) So she has to fight off a few of these creatures, and then she gets the hell out of there because she spots something worse approaching. It's a Mordecant, which is one of the greater deads. So she ends up making it to the house, which is on an island in the middle of a Russian river. And this is important because it's usually a safe haven from dead creatures because they can't cross the running water. Mm-hmm. This is where she meets Mogget, a mysterious Mogget! talking white cat 
who claims to serve all the abortions. Mogget addresses Sabriel as the abortion, insisting that Sabriel's father is gone and that now it is she is the heir and this is her title. And that now it's her job to protect the old kingdom by sending all dead things back to death where they belong. And note, they always refer to death at in a capital because it's like literally like a place yes. that all dead things go. Yeah. So the Mordecant ended up following her back to the house and has called a bunch of undead slaves to start building a bridge across the water out of coffin dirt. But before it can succeed, it's metal. <laughs> it's the most metal subjects I've ever heard. <laughs> before it can it can succeed, Cipriel casts a spell to flood the river and wash away the bridge. Then, with a quick wardrobe change into the traditional Portion garb, Sabriel escapes the flood with Mogget in an enchanted plane called Paperwing, which, if I remember correctly, is literally like a paper airplane yeah. that they enchant to fly. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know? Okay, so call back to Inviting the Sun. They have a paper airplane type dealie that's not a paper airplane type dealie. They say it's something else, and I was like, it's a bird plane. And I always just put these two things together. <laughs> Do you read them around the same time? Yes, and yeah. I just realized that right now. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is why I fucked that up. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah. The only reason I actually remember what a paper wing is, it is, is because they use them in Clareal. And I remember reading, since I only read it last year, I remember reading a description of it. Yeah. Alright, so, Sabriel not so great at flying, and they nearly crash, but Mogget gives Sabriel a ring and instructs her, to, instructs her to release him from the collar that keeps him in cat form. This, it turns out that Mogget's actually a super powerful, free magic spirit who's strong enough to save them from crashing, mostly, but they end up skidding into a huge hole in the ground nearby. Also, in his true form, he really just basically wants to murder Sabriel, which is super inconvenient, especially since Sabriel is now stranded at the bottom of a giant hole. You know what's a bad time? That. Yeah. That's a bad time. Realizing that your cat is not a cat and actually wants to kill you. Yep. But, like, actually wants to kill you. Yeah, like, legit. Legit wants to kill you. Not just hungry. (laughs) So, Sabriel does figure out that uh, the ring that he gave her will also turn him back into a cat. So, she does that, and that way he can't murder her. Good. Yes. So, that problem's living for right now. So, now that uh, Ma gets back to being a nice kitty, Sabriel sets out to explore the sinkhole she crashed into. In one part of the hole, she finds many grounded ships, including one with a strikingly lifelike male nude on the prow. Sabriel senses that the figure is actually someone trapped in death, and she risks a trip into death to drag him out and save him. When the young man wakes up, he reveals that he's been frozen for over 200 years and seemed traumatized by guilt over events of the past. Mogget recognizes him, but gives him the name of Touchstone, which is a gesture in a Shakespeare play. That's where they got the name. I love it. I love Touchstone. Oh my god. I love him. Yeah, no. I don't remember why I love him, but I just remember loving him so much. I love him because I was a teen girl. Yes, probably why. And he was like charming. charming Yes. Touchstone is a very capable fighter and a charter mage and pledges his loyalties 
to Sabriel, who still isn't quite sure about this 200-year-old mystery man, but agrees to let him join their quest. <laughs> Do you just have a thing for, like, people who are way older, but actually not way older? Is, Is that, that your problem? secret, like, type? That or missing limbs, I think. <laughs> I realized the other day I like a lot of characters that are, like, missing arms slash hands. Okay. I mean, that's totally fair. I don't know why. I literally was thinking... You only have to hold one hand. I mean, that's just, like, Bucky has one arm missing. Mm-hmm. Yang has one arm missing. One part of her arm missing. Yeah. Um, I loved Shanks from One Piece, who only has one hand. And Jamie only has one hand, and I love Jamie. And Misty's a fucking badass bitch who only has one arm, too. Ugh. <laughs> You're right. Yep. Clearly, we found my two kinks. <laughs> <laughs> Touchstone does remember a way out of the hole, so they go and they continue on their quest. As I was writing this, I felt like I was, like, literally, like, playing some RPG where I was like, Touchstone joined your party! (laughs) It's so funny, because they're, like, that one, or, like, fucking, um, when I was doing Ray Earth, I was like, this is just D&D, where you go and each person gets to level up their own person and do their thing. Literal, like, (laughs) 16-bit. Touchstone joined your party at the bottom of my screen. I'm like, this is my life right now. (laughs) I would play the fuck out of this game. (laughs) Me fucking too, dude. More Sabriel merch forever and ever on that. Seriously, seriously. Alright, so, they follow the Charter Stones to a nearby town of Nesto. So, this place is crawling with dead things, and it has made all the people of the town flee to an offshore island, because once again, the running water. Mm -hmm. Um, Fair. Yes. So, the group end up defeating all the dead parasite dead things that are plaguing the villagers, but uh, (laughs) Sabriel senses that the Mordecant is on its way. To the village because it's picked up a trail, and by at this point, they know that it's clearly being controlled by something way worse than just being this greater dead thing that I said earlier. Did they talk about what the Mordecant looks like? I don't know. This is just a summary. Okay. I can't. I didn't. No worries. Read the book. Which if it was here, I would have reread it. Yeah, but we don't have it. No worries. I was just thinking about it, and I was like, I can't remember if they were like. Monstery. I assume they were monstery. I always feel like a figure, most of them, they're sort of like shadowy figures. Yeah. Because on the front of the book, the main baddie who we'll get into is sort of just a shadowy figure over her. So I always just kind of figure they were kind of shadowy. Like like darkness made. Dark. Yeah, exactly. That's what I figured they were. Okay. Yeah. In my brain, that's how I picture them. I like that. Yeah. So she asks the villagers, who are very grateful that she they killed all the dead things, for a boat so that they can leave the island, and that way they'll also lure Mordecai away from the village. So they give her one, and then the three of them all set sail and head for the capital city of Belisir. Since they're not technically in the Old Kingdom, they're free from all the res- uh, restrictive spells on the land that prevent them from discussing charter magic. That's something that's throughout the world. So Touchstone and Mogget 
start talking and Touchstone reveals that he witnessed a plot to buy a prince named Rogier to murder the royal family and break the charter stone in the capital city. Touchstone believes himself to be partly responsible since he couldn't defeat Rogier, who was apparently claimed to already be dead at the time during a battle. And then in the battle, Touchstone went berserk, which is something we find out that he goes into these berserk rages. And he ended up murdering two guards. Yeah, I did too yeah, until I, I read totally that. totally forgot about that. Yep. He ended up murdering two guards. And then after the abortion at the time froze Touchstone for the 200 years. And that's where he was left. So they arrive in the capital, which is still a bustling city, despite the fact that the kingdom has fallen into anarchy. And they stay at an end and just plan to, uh, what to do next. And they find out that there's an underground reservoir where the queen was killed. And they likely think that this is where Sabriel's father is trapped by the cracked carter stone that is down there. So they make it out of the safe part of the city and into the reservoir. And just as they thought Sabriel's father, his body is found down there. He's still standing in a protected diamond of magic, but he's trapped in death. With Touchstone and Maggot standing guard. Maggot. Maggot. <laughs> he just bites your head off. <laughs> I mean, he probably wants to. Probably not far from what he wants to do. <laughs> so when Touchstone and Maggot uh, are standing guard, Sabriel casts another protective spell around her father, and then they, she enters back to look for him. Touchstone and Maggot end up kind of freaking out, but just sort of waiting there and being like, we're going to protect you guys because they start hearing the noise of an army of approaching dead creatures and it's getting louder and louder. And the creatures seem to be preparing and gathering in order for the arrival of the big bad of our story. So Sabriel does find her father trapped in death and is only able to free him temporarily. He's been trapped in death for too long that he can't come back to life permanently. And just like how death is capitalized, they capitalize life as well because it's like just a different plane mm-hmm. in some place. He reveals that the main villain's name is Caragor, who is the same evil creature he rescued baby Sabriel from. He also explains that he froze Touchstone onto that ship because Touchstone is actually the last surviving royal prince. It is also found out that it's maybe not so good that Sabriel freed Touchstone because now Caragor can continue his quest to completely destroy the Charter by sacrificing royal blood on the Charter Stones. You remember that? So womp womp. And there was like a short like chapter where you're like, oh no, is Touchstone bad? And I was like, no. And then you're like, no, he's actually still great. No, he's he's just a prince. He's just, I don't know how he's a berserk and baby and also naked wood person and baby. He's Chris Evans. (laughs) (laughs) You just have like one specific, you have two types and they're just Chris Evans and somehow Bucky. Which is weird. I don't know what to tell you about that. And, like, your your Chris Evans type kind of has a little bit of, like, I would say it's 85% Chris Evans and then probably 15% actually cat. Yes. I'm finding a lot out about myself while doing podcasting. Yeah. First I realized I am Daphne and Fred's love child. That is absolutely <laughs> The funniest fucking fact in the entire world. Whatever, Shaggy and Velma. That's fine. (laughs) Turns out I'm a gay stoner. What did you expect? Hello! 
Um, so Sabria's feather instructs her to grab Touchstone and to get the fuck out and takes her sword and one of the necromantic bells to ward off uh, Karagor. So when Sabriel and her father make it back to life, Karagor is about to attack. Sabriel grabs Touchstone and while her father is uh, using the bell to summon some deathly magic shit, she places a nice well-timed kiss with Touchstone to protect him because I think she's immune to them or something. Oh. And then that allows them to escape. And then while they're escaping, Sabriel's father does banish Karagor into a temporarily uh, with the bell, but he ends up dying in his effort. During all this commotion, Mogad at some time managed to get free, and he takes his true form and basically just disappears. During the escape, Touchstone does go into his preserved form. He ends up basically grabbing Sabriel and just carries her all the way to two of the sisters uh, called the Player. So, when you were like... Grab Touchstone and get the fuck out of there. And then you were like, Touchstone grabbed her and got the fuck out of there. Both of the times I pictured them grabbing the other person under their arm and just like football carrying them. I mean, them. I assume. Also, it's much funnier when being like, <laughs> I assume when Sabrina did it, she grabbed his wrist and they started running. But I definitely assume Touchstone just carried he's her like, out like this. And she's like, why do I like you? What the fuck happened to you? Genuinely with both of us. How did this happen? We have pretty different types. Like, your type is, as we have... Chris Evans and a little bit of Bucky Barnes. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Which we have thoroughly discussed this episode. Thank you very much. Yeah, my type is generally disasters. I mean, Tetchel is a little bit of both. He's pretty much a disaster. Yeah. And I'm assuming he's naked. Maybe we do have similar types. They just... It's a weird Venn diagram. I also, like I said, assume Touchstone is still just naked. Yeah. and But he's not. No. Clearly. They went to a town. I'm sure they bought him clothes. Yeah. He probably wasn't like, I'm going to But I assume his dick is still just flopping mm-hmm. about. And also, I assume, and there's no reason to assume this because this is a colloquialism, but that they're making a lot of jokes about having wood. <laughs> But why would they? Because that is probably just specifically, like, I don't even know if that's American. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to look that up. Where did yes. the, the term having wood referring to yes. penis come from? Yeah. <laughs> Literally, all I can think is the scene where she's like, oh, oh. <laughs> so they escape, and when Touchstone goes berserk, he carries Sabriel uh, to meet these two sisters. Called the Claire. Claire? Claire. Claire. So they are visionaries and they show Sabriel the location of Caragor's uh, body. If Sabriel can lay Caragor's body properly to rest with necromancy, he will be defeated. So his body is hidden and sell steer. Steer? Steer? And it's actually not too far from her college that we started at. Fancy. Nope. That's not the word there. So they give uh, her and Touchstone a paper wing. It's ready to go. And off they go. What a paper wing so quiet. I know, right? And when they get there, they tell Colonel uh, Horace about Carrie Gore's body. 
and Horis gathers a group of soldiers so that they can help. Because remember, we're back in non-magical land. Yes. We're in science. Science! <laughs> Sibriel identifies the spot where Caligora's body is buried, but even with the help of the soldiers, she can't get the sarcophagus open. She needs more magical power. So she then comes up with a plan that a lot of the older magic students that are by the college might be able to help, so they end up bringing the whole sarcophagus back to the school. Meanwhile, power outages and encroaching fog signal the arrival of Carrigore and his newly assembled zombie army. As the soldiers open fire on the zombies, Sabriel prepares the students to open the sarcophagus. Joining hands in a circle, Sabriel, Touchstone, students, and soldiers open the coffin together. But just as it opens, Caragor and Mogget in his free magic form crash into the room. Fucking stupid cat bitch. I mean, if that isn't a cat. <laughs> so a huge fight breaks loose. Uh, Mogget actually ends up delivering the Aborzian sword and bell back to Sabriel that her father had. What do you mean? Yeah. And then he hurls himself into Caragor and vanishes. And then Sabriel ends up destroying Caragor's body using the final bell and then ultimately traps Caragor in using Mogget's ring that she still has. And in a bizarre little twist, he the ring transforms Caragor into a black cat and Mogget reappears as the white cat next to him. Oh, so I'm I of Luna and Artemis. Oh my god. Kitties. Yeah, except for they're both very, very powerful. Those so they're like Oh. <laughs> just the idea of Phoebe makes me just depressed. Bitch. <laughs> okay. So it really is some magic girl QB shit, right? There, That's though. for real, though. Yeah. But right before Carrie Gore is transformed into this uh, black cat, he ends up stabbing Sabriel and she dies. All that, and she fucking dies. But don't worry, Martha! I wasn't, because I read the book. <laughs> As Sabriel gives herself up to the... It was about to give herself up to the icy river in death, she hears the voice of the past of Porcians, including her father, telling her that it's not her time to go and she has more to do. And they end up sending her back to life, and Sabriel awakens in Touchstone's arms, knowing that many have died in battle, including Colonel uh, Horace, her former magic teacher, soldiers, and friends from her school. But Touchstone is alive, and Sabriel even remarks with surprise that she is too. And that's sort of how it ends. Basically, her and Touchstone get married, and they have and a baby, cute. and it's real. Yeah! And they, and they like, rebuild the kingdom, and they make it a really good place. It's a good place, and small baby. And then shit happens, and their daughter has to take care of it. Well, but they're in it. But they're older. But they're in it! So, why is this book so important, especially for young teenage girls, but even as adults? And this is a nice little quote 
by Garth Nix in an interview. In all my fantasy novels, the worlds have gender equality. Women can be anything in the book. Soldiers, cardinals, the heroes, the villains. And this is exactly why this is such a big thing. And this quote is huge. Sabrina is one of the first books that I personally ever read where the hero was a girl. Someone I and so many young girls can relate to, but also have all the fantasy aspects that you want in a book. She was strong and she was smart. She saved the prince, not the other way around, and no one questioned her because of her gender. At the same time, she was often still unsure and scared, but uh, which is okay, too. And it still didn't stop her from what needed to be done. She made it happen, and it was her that made it happen, not the, man, the men in her life. And in this world, gender was something that would never hold anyone back, which is something that a lot of fantasy stories lack. Sabriel had come into her own as a hero. She found her father, saved the kingdom, and found her place in society. So, even though this is a traditional ending for the hero's journey, and even a traditional ending for a female hero's journey, the biggest difference is that Sabriel accomplished it all without being, in quotations, a hero in drag, which is a phrase coined to basically mean a story that simply exchanges a female protagonist for a male. Oh, yes. She, oh, that's, such a, that's good. Yes. She had no gender-related obstacles to overcome since the Old Kingdom is not a place where that adheres to any traditional gender rules. Sabriel is a perfect example of a non-traditional female hero. She did not give into her femininity completely, nor did she give it up to take on masculine traits. She fought bravely using the ability she was born with. And she she was focused and determined. None of these things were prescribed to her by gender. It was based on her right and the ability for her to be the abortion. Sabrina is a hero who happens to be female. Mm-hmm. Baller. At the same time, it didn't just reverse the roles. Uh, she did save Touchstone, but he was a great and a very helpful ally that didn't just need constant rescuing. And though he did end up being love interest in the end, that wasn't important to the story until the end, and it didn't ever interfere with the mission at hand. He could hold his own, and he had his own place. He was a comrade for her, not just the love interest, which yeah. a lot of times the girl ends up being. <coughs> End game, Peggy Carter. Peggy Carter's a hero! Are you fucking kidding me? For real. Peggy Carter could kick all of your ass. Yes. She'd be at least 50% more gay. Just saying. So, Garth Nix's world is total opposite to the worlds depicted in many fantasy worlds. In general. Not just novels and, and movies and, and comics and um, video games. very similar. Yeah, a huge example of this is obviously George R. R. Martin's A Song of Fire and Ice novels. Nix even said in an article, George was writing a more traditional kind of fantasy in that regard. And I guess he is from an older generation and probably just didn't even think about it. But of course, there's a lot of fantasy like that, and but there's no reason or need for it to be like that. He also goes on to say that he was mostly spared of the ludicrous online criticism from men who argue women can't be knights in a medieval fantasy. This is a quote. I actually don't get them very often, but women authors do, he said. 
which, again, is a male privilege thing. If a woman had written the same books as I did, they would have caught a lot more flack for having for the gender equality. This is why the world he set up is the way it is. And then he continues on saying, whatever you write tends to be infused with things that you're concerned about. Garth mixes to real is here to help teach that there is no need to conform to the rules society makes on gender roles. You can or can't do something because of you. Gender shouldn't be holding you back. As a female, I can be a hero, and I can be any level of feminine and masculine I want. Same with the male. They can be a support at any level of masculine or feminine that they want. Our genders don't make us who we are or what we're capable of, and society shouldn't be telling us otherwise. Yes. And that is why I love this book and why it was a very important book to our society, I think, and especially to young teenage females because he is a teenage, young, young, uh, young fictional, author. young adult fictional author. And that's why I think that book has such an impact on so many people, on so many girls who read it at that age, and they should continue to read it. And I looked up, um, just in my research, a lot of lists had it as like a book like a feminist book to read. I'm sure there are a lot of authors now who read it when they were younger. And yeah, and I I haven't obviously read a lot of like young adult fiction because I'm not a young adult anymore. Um, And I'm sure there are a lot more out there, but I know me being you know, 13, 14 this was one of the first things that I read of especially this kind of genre. Yeah. I was firmly entrenched in this genre by that age, which is the least surprising thing of anything in our entire lives. <laughs> Welcome to the Double Feature Picture Show. What do you want to see? Well, I want to see something really good and something really bad. Like maybe Total Recall and Junior? Sure. Or The Rocketeer and Country Bears? Absolutely. Maybe even Dogma and Yoga Hoses? I mean, of course. Who programs such cinematic excellence and hot garbage together? Why, only the double-edged double bill, my good man. Available on the ESO Network and wherever you get podcasts. series on HBO and it's been really good and interesting so far but it is definitely going in slightly different directions. Basically the um, showrunner of it Misha Green was like oh well we're kind of taking it as like a really good jumping off point and going from there. So my sources today are um, Matt Ruff's Lovecraft Country uh, Horrors in 1950s America by Nisi Shaw uh, how Lovecraft Country Reappropriates H.P. Lovecraft's Notoriously Racist Creations by Laura Miller, um, the actual book Lovecraft Country by Matt Ruff, and then Cthulhu Gunslay, Lovecraft Country by Matt Ruff, which is by Alex Brown. And like I said, I'm mostly doing the book because the show is only a couple episodes in, and 
there's not enough to do on it yet. Exactly. So, first thing first, uh, Howard Philip Lovecraft, or H.P. Lovecraft, was born in 1890. You know, I don't think I ever knew that he was a Howard Philip. What the H.P. stood for. Yes. I think I had to look it up and then was like, immediately, like, oh, of course, big fucking nerd. Which, I know, right? Surprising zero people. So, he was a horror slash fantasy slash sci-fi writer, and his... Cosmic horror changed the genre, and his influence is still felt in horror to this day. Also from... Yeah, so he was from... uh, He lived in Providence, Rhode Island for a good chunk of his life. He also was in Massachusetts for part of his life, and then um, he lived in Red Hook in New York for a small part. And his influence changed everything. Uh, We still haven't gotten a really good, faithful Lovecraft movie to this day, which is a shame. That is fun. Um, and he was a founder, the founder of the Cthulhu Mythos. Um, he and a bunch of other authors had a writing circle that they literally called the Lovecraft Circle because they all borrowed a lot of his motifs. So also, he lived in New England for a good chunk of his life, uh, and a lot of his shit was based in that. Why I haven't talked about him since he's so incredibly up my alley. Like, admittedly, I'm a big fan of his work, but there aren't a lot of people who can write the way he did. He was very good at writing something that could cause fear. Unfortunately, he was also a virulent racist. Even for the time he was around, he was incredibly racist and xenophobic. Um, he Anything that was not exactly like him, he was afraid of, and you could tell. Yeah, at some point, he... he got married to a, Jew- a Jewish woman, and I'm like, this is so many things that you're afraid of. What are you doing? At least he seemed to be afraid of everything. Yeah, consistently. Not like, that that makes it any better, no. but... <laughs> He's like, I'm a, I'm a terrible fucking twat to everyone. To everyone. Not, like, exactly the dumb, like, nerd sci-fi writer that I am. Yep. So, finding out the, that the thing that you enjoyed was created by someone who is... A fucking twat can completely can kind of poison a lot of the things that you love, and like I think that a lot of these days we get that over and over and over and over. Yep. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've read a book and then like it's been something that has changed my life, and then later on it's like, oh, actually, this person is a huge homophobe. Like, cool, awesome. So I'm glad you you hate me as a person. At least Sailor Moon's. Sailor Moon stands for us forever and ever, man. Forever. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I never wanted to be somebody who venerates racists, especially right now. So I was not going to be like, yo, Lovecraft, yeah, what a cool dude. Uh, (laughs) Because he's not. He's not a cool dude. He wrote some cool things. He's a, a trash person. So yeah. I wanted to touch on Lovecraft, but I wanted to also talk about Lovecraft and racism since they are tied together. Um, and then I started seeing ads for Lovecraft Country with Jordan Peele attached, which is a Lovecraftian story that puts black people at the forefront. I think the only Lovecraft story I've ever actually read was Cthulhu. Which I feel like is one of his weaker ones, to be totally honest. I will, uh, If you ever want some recommendations, I would say there are some really I don't know, he's racist. He is racist. (laughs) That's not wrong. He's a racist shithead. But also, I do own a collection of his 
not as full work, so I'm going to say it is spooky time. I like reading spooky books yeah. at this time. But there, there are some interesting, and like a lot of people took his stuff and used it as a spring Yeah. Book, so it's still felt today, but it's not racist. racist like this. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, so the show is only a few episodes deep at this point, um, and is going in some slightly different directions from the book, but they come from the same place and are telling more or less the same story, so I guess we'll see how that goes. So yeah, Lovecraft Country kind of marries Lovecraft and his monsters with the real fear of racism. Uh, it takes place shortly after the Korean War, so in the 1950s, and all the fashion is cute as shit, and all the racism is fucking horrifying. Uh, the first story starts off with Atticus returning home after receiving a mysterious letter from his father, Montrose. I love the name Atticus, because mm-hmm. it makes me think of To Kill a Mockingbird, yeah. and I love Atticus. Me too. To I feel like it's a, it's a really, like, it's a good, good name. Yeah, it is. So he's been living uh, in Florida after being in the Army in the Korean War, so he's a black war vet after the Korean War, and heads back to Chicago to see what's up. His father has been kind of obsessed with his mother's heritage. So on the way back to Chicago, a cop pulls him over for no reason at all. And this is when you first start to see where things are starting to go. Um, The cop searches the car and finds his stash of rare science fiction books, including a gift for his uncle, and messes up a bunch of them, and then also implies that he stole them, and then makes fun of him for having them. Uh, So obviously we start off on a bad foot. Mm Mm-hmm. And then that foot mutates into several gross eldritch tentacles that can drive a person mad. So, cool. Drive him mad! Yeah. So, uh, Tick goes to his uncle George to figure out what's what and to get some help uh, deciphering his father's letter. Um, and he says that his father is sending him to Lovecraft Country, Arkham. So, a little bit of history on Arkham. Arkham was a city that was made up by Lovecraft, but it's basically like modern-day Salem. Arkham okay, Asylum. so who made Arkham first? Batman or Lovecraft? Lovecraft. Okay. Lovecraft made Arkham first, and then Arkham Asylum is an homage to Lovecraft. Okay. But yeah, so he's like, my father's sending me into fucking Lovecraft country, and it's Arkham. And then uh, Uncle George takes a closer look, and he's like, no, actually his handwriting is fucking terrible, but it does say it's it's Artem, Massachusetts. So that's a D, not a K. True. Spelling. Spelling. But, um, <laughs> neither of them is actually real. Before you ask, I did look them up. So, say, I've never heard of an Artem, Massachusetts. No, so. and we lived in Massachusetts. <laughs> we, we were born and bred and lived there for 30 yeah. to 33 years. That said, every now and then there, like, yes. here's a weird West Mass thing, and I'm like, Ew, what? Yeah, that doesn't, that's not real Massachusetts. Ew, what? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Uncle George also travels for a living, and he makes a travel guide of the places that are safe to stop as a black person at this time. So um, he pulls out this big map that um, has small places and all the little places in between. And um, on this map, it actually has drawings that his son has been doing. So every now and then there's like a little small drawing. Kind of like you would see on an old-timey map where they put sea monsters in places where it's not safe to sail. Um, so, <laughs> I know, it's really cute. But yeah, over Artem, uh, he's drawn the Grim Reaper. So he's super obsessed with comic books, too. His name is Horus. Horus? Horus? <laughs> no, it's actually Horus. Oh. I just kept thinking horsey every time I read it, and I was like, it doesn't say horsey, Brittany. 
How many dumb nerd things can we put in one thing? <laughs> all of them. All of them. Um, okay, so Tick and Uncle George and also Letitia, a childhood friend of his who is heading that way, um, head out towards Artem. On the way, they're chased by racists and the cops. Um, they flee a town that was a sundown town. The law in the sundown town was that basically it was illegal for black people to be there after sundown. Oh, cool. So once the sun set, you had to be out of there or they could... Lynch you on the streets? Yeah, basically. They could just shoot you or... I I would say they probably would say they're going to arrest you, but let's be real. This cop was... So this cop ends up, like, basically being, like, right behind them. Tick is like, okay, I'm going to drive out of here. And he's like... I need to make a U-turn to do this. Is it okay with you if I make this illegal U-turn? And the cop is like, if you hadn't done that, I would have fucking shot you. Just because. Because I'm a racist piece of shit. Uh Uh-huh. But even so, like, as they're leaving, he's driving exactly the speed limit, and the cop is right fucking behind him, like, nosing it up against him the entire fucking time, and it's genuinely fucking scary. Yikes. The, the cops are trying so hard to cause as much fucking violence to black people as possible. Um, and they make it out, but just fucking barely. Yeah, I know. It's wild. And so, along the journey, they escape. Wait, wait, wait. This is a fake thing, right? No. So, is so this really? Sundown this towns were real. Sundown towns were real. Actually, How do we not learn this shit in history? This is what's wrong with our fucking country. Exactly. Yeah, so actually, um, there's a lot of, like, quotes from history and research, like, things from signs and things like that, that um, Matt Ruff puts at, like, the beginning of each of his chapters to, like, kind of give you context for what's going on in the time. But yeah, this was a real... Like, if you... I looked it up on Wikipedia, and you can see actual signs that's where it's awful. basically, like... And this is something, like, they never... That's not anything we ever... It's not something that, like, unless you've watched certain movies or read certain books, it's not, like... And we lived in liberal Massachusetts. Yeah. Yes. I roll. You know. Comparatively, but also, like, let's not pat ourselves on the back no. too fucking much. No. So they travel along to Artem, and one of the places that they stop is some place that um, it was supposed to be safe. Like, it was marked on the map as safe, but the name has changed, and when they go in, they realize, you know, they're being treated a certain way. Uh, Tisha goes to the bathroom, and then she hears the, like, cook on the phone who's calling somebody who's like, I didn't, like, I didn't need to let them in, and I don't know what to do, and what are we going to do? And they basically get chased out of there again, too. And then at one point, um, there's one, so this is a quote, uh, in one terrifying scene, Atticus and company are detained by a rural sheriff who intends to blame them for a string of local robberies and then shoot them in the backs for a fictional escape attempt. And then this plan gets interrupted by monsters who fucking devour them, which is, (laughs) yes! I wish that happened in real life when this shit happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in the books and in the series, the creatures are identified as uh, Shoggoths, which are beings that once served Lovecraft's elder gods. Every time a cop just tries to be like, this black person's armed, but wasn't, I hope... Oh no, I'm sorry you got eaten in half. And it can be by anything. I don't care. It can be the fucking chipmunk that was on the tree. Just fucking be eaten. But fuck you. 
big yeah. chipmunk. Just like, and then it's just back to being a cute little chipmunk. I'm actually thousand percent here for a Lovecraftian chipmunk. It's like um, I just looked at it in a certain light, and his eyes just glinted like glowing yellow, which is it's weird. really just fucking um, dotty. Hey, uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, even but though like you have these big fucking terrifying monsters that chomp half of this racist, He's like, a racist. shithead it's in fine. half, they're not the scariest thing that's happening there. No. Yeah. So they do get to Artem and they find this large manor house called the Artem Lodge. It's a big fucking goddamn fancy mansion. And it's nothing good happens in fancy mansions or lodges or fancy lodges. Here's the thing: lodges are a, a old white dude thing. It's true. Stay away. Nothing good happens there, mm-hmm. and it doesn't. So um, <laughs> this is the home of Samuel Braithwaite, who is the lead of an order of racist wizards founded by an ancestor. Yes. Racist wizards. Racist wizards. Do we just go into my book? Yeah. There were a lot of, like, you kept saying things, and I was like, mm. <laughs> what's happened? Um, but yeah, so it's it's a bunch of racist fucking wizards founded by the one of his ancestors named Titus Braithwaite, and the order is called the Order of the Ancient Dawn. Um, they brought Montrose there to lure Atticus there because he is actually a descendant of Titus on his mother's side, and they want to use him for a spooky ritual. It's typical. <laughs> what is a spooky ritual? What does that entail? <laughs> spooky ritual. <laughs> we're, we're, we're getting there. What they want to do is they want to go back to Adam and Eve times because Adam was able to like name a bunch of different creatures and they think that he was able to create things, but it's also like, oh, we didn't have to deal with black people back then. And I'm like, but I mean, if you look at any sort of, if you look at science, I was going to say, if you look at any sort of science, we all came from black people. So y'all need to chill. Cool. But I'm sure Adam and Eve were white Science. and blonde and had perfect teeth and shit I don't like think that. They're drawn as blonde. They're not. Neither is Jesus. Oh, he is definitely not blonde. Because he's a carpenter. He didn't have a blonde carpenter, obviously. That's that's just how that works. Um, but yeah, so they brought Montrose there to lure Atticus there for a um, spooky ritual. Caleb Braithwaite, who is Salem's only Salem's only no. Who is Samuel's only son? <laughs> I got stuck on spooky shit. Hell, um, <laughs> uh, he he tells Atticus an incantation to say during the ceremony, and it turns out that that unleashes the power that was probably going to be used on him to open this like portal into Eden, into Salem, into Salem, into Salem Eden. Salem would be so much better than Eden. One of them has apples, and the other one probably has apples, too, because it's in Massachusetts. <laughs> um, okay, so here we are. Um, and then it unleashes all of this power. I fucking hate you! <laughs> all of the old racists have turned some into dust, which oh, is yeah, fire. Yeah, um, that's exactly what I want. Yeah, so that allows Caleb to gain control of his Order of the Ancient Dawn chunk. So, in thanks for that, he releases Atticus, uh, George, Letitia, and Montrose and lets them go back to everything. So, 
This is a quote, but it was a really fucking good one. Just as beliefs shatter tropes black people are often reduced to portraying, Braithwaite, too, undermines his own stereotypes. He is a white man who appears to be better than his ancestors, a man who isn't racist and who stands up to other bigots, except he's actually just a variation on the very supremacist he aims to defeat. He doesn't aid Atticus out of the goodness of his heart or even to redress the crimes of his predecessors. He gives reparations as a bargaining chip and welcomes Atticus into his family only to exploit his bloodline. He uses his privilege against Atticus, Montrose, Ruby, and the others, just like the rest of the white folks do. He just has the foresight to dress it up in progressive words and hopes to trick them into submission. Where do we find these things to eat racist people? I don't um, I mean, I guess... Why at the sacrifice? Racist people? Let's fucking go, racist people. Yeah, I've got a bunch of nice. <laughs> All we have to do is go on Facebook. We'll find mm-hmm. plenty of them. Um, but yeah, so this kind of sets up everything. That's exactly how I want to defeat racism. Um, <laughs> uh, so this kind of sets up everything else because Braithwaite has his hands a little bit in everything. He ends up giving Letitia an inheritance that it's said that it's from her late father, a notorious gambler. And Do they have to spend a night in the spooky mansion to get it? No. But she is pointed in the direction of buying a spooky mansion. No. Um, so it's a large 14-bedroom house called the Winthrop House. Is she buying herself? She's buying it to lease it out to other black people. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was like, what are you going to do with a 14-bedroom house? Yeah. And it's being sold cheap because it's, quote, it's unquote, haunted. haunted. Exactly. Um, Which we would buy because we don't believe it goes. Exactly. And then this would be us. And then this would be us. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, we'd well, be like, oh, it's so cheap. And then we'd be like, why does the elevator keep trying to cut off people's heads? <laughs> That's weird. Hmm. <laughs> Somebody needs to check the electricity. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she plans on fixing it up and renting out the rooms. And after moving in, she realizes that the house is haunted by Winthrop's ghost, who is not too happy about sharing the racist. Of course. But yeah, so he and Letitia struggle, and he nearly kills her, and then he, like, makes her life in the house really hard. Basically makes it- I almost killed you, but I failed, so now I'm just gonna fuck you with your life. Yes, and then he's, (laughs) he's, like, trying to fuck with her, and they have, like, a kind of chessboard going, and she's like, okay, we'll just do this and see how this goes. And then- when he nearly kills her, she's like, okay, fine. If you fucking kill me, I'm going to be a ghost and I'm going to haunt the shit out of you. So you'll never get rid of me. If that's what you fucking want, you can fucking do that. And after that, they come to an agreement and he ends up like kind of working with her. So during their time there, there's a bunch of white people in the neighborhood who start harassing her and anybody who's there. They vandalize their cars. They throw menorah at their front door. They do a bunch of, like, stupid... Manure. Something you would never think of now. Like, oh, yeah. Makes sense for the time. Exactly. <laughs> and it's, it's like, 
12 year old fucking shit where yeah. you're like mm, I hate that this person is here toilet paper your house exactly <laughs> um, so one night three of the young men in, uh, break in with uh, intentions to burn the house down and then Withrop's ghost intervenes and it like hauls the men down to the basement like basically opens the elevator like oh I swear I'm safe and then he's like nope y'all are in here I'm gonna scare the shit out of you because I'm a ghost and then uh, <laughs> I'm a ghost yeah and they only get free when the police arrive and are like we heard that people broke in here and they haven't been seen later Atticus discovers that uh, Caleb Braithwaite actually arranged for the sale of the house to Letitia. Also, fun other fact that you wouldn't have known from history, but I learned in this, when black people were realtors back in the day, they couldn't call themselves realtors. They had to be realtists. So if you wanted to buy a house for a black person, you were probably going to buy it from a realtist. Because white people are so fucking petty that they were like, we can't even share this fucking name with you. Yeah, there were a lot of things where I was like, that's, wow, everything's horrible. So, another story later. So, Hippolyta, who is the wife of George. George is the uncle to Atticus, just in case you've forgotten, because there's a lot of people. Not a lot of people, but there's enough people that's confusing. So, when she is in the Winthrop house during a housewarming party, um, in one of the rooms, she finds a secret compartment, and then there's a book that has, uh, it has a book and it has a key. And um, in the book, there is an address. And while she is traveling, uh, she's traveling to do research for the travel guide to see where it's safe and things like that. So she's already in Wisconsin and the book has an address there. And the address is actually for an observatory, um, which isn't too far out of where she's looking. So she's like, I'll go check it out. She's always had a lifelong passion for astronomy. So she's like, Let's, let's see how it is. Also, the place is in Warlock Hill, Wisconsin, which I'm going to say hard pass on, please. Is that a real place? No. That would be so cool, though. I, mean, I don't fucking know it's Wisconsin. Who the fuck knows what hey, there? It's just cheese. What's the, I was literally going to be like, the only thing now. I know about Wisconsin is cheese. Mm-hmm. Cheese Hill. Warlock Cheese. Warlock Cheese is my new band name. <laughs> okay. So she's able to get into the old observatory with the key she found, but uh, when she gets in there, there isn't actually a telescope. There's a console with 64 windows, and each of them has a three-digit number. And then, after all of that fucking shit, there's a button. And then at the other side of the observatory, there is a uh, door frame. And she finds when she changes things, like changes some of the numbers, the scene through the doorway changes. So... She, uh, in the book, there had been a series of 64 three-digit numbers, so she was like, okay, let's... Wait, wait, say that again? 64 three-digit numbers. Okay. The all I heard 64, 64 three kind of put it all together, and yes. I was like, that, I can't it's, compute that in my brain. Okay, I get it now. Totally. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I was like... <laughs> so she dials in all of those numbers into each of the screen, and then she pushes a button... And when she does that... Um, How long did that take her? Probably way, way too long. Way too fucking long. Yeah. I'm sure you're the same way as me, where it's like, I have to double-check each of these numbers that I put in. But you never know, especially if it's opening a weird portal. Um, you don't want to open the weird portal to hell instead of this cute white sandy beach through there. So she, um, there's a white sandy beach, and she goes, she's like, okay, well, 
I've got to do the thing. I'm, I'm an explorer. This is who I am as a person. I'm fucking curious. So she goes through the portal, and she actually finds a woman named Ida there, who is living in a small gated cottage. Um, and Ida explains that Hiram Winthrop... Hiram is never a good name. No. Hiram means that you are rich, white, racist, and shitty. Hiram is the name of Veronica's father. Yep. and It's the only other Hiram I know, and yeah, that's still he, consistent. It's fine. And he's not white. He's Hispanic, but... <laughs> well, okay. but He is rich, and I'm sure... He's white in the comics. Is, yeah, oh yeah, but... Um, I wouldn't even say he's racist. He's, he's just, just shitty. He's just your your poorest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever that is. <laughs> it's not a good name. Yeah. If he was white, he'd probably be racist. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So Ida explains that Hiram Winthrop, uh, furious that his son had run off with one of the maids, Pearl, took her and a few others through the door 20 fucking years before and told them that he was going to keep them there until somebody told him where his son went. Uh, to show that he was fucking serious, he left and he said he'd be back in a few days, and then he never fucking returned. So, probably because he got killed by Samuel Braithwaite, because uh, that is the Braithwaite way. Kill your father and take over for him, I guess. Ida is the last survivor and has been living there since. And she doesn't necessarily believe that Winthrop's power has ended just because he's dead. So she's like... Between that and the fact that everybody is a racist piece of shit, and here I just have to deal with actual fucking monsters outside of my house, but at least the monsters are, you know, predictable. If they're monsters, I yeah, know what's coming. they're monsters. I know what a monster is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so she's like, you can't fucking come back here. She destroys the book, makes sure that that code is fucking gone, and then... She's like, okay, here is a box. You can take it back with you, and it'll do a thing. And uh, you have to promise to leave me alone and to get rid of the key once you go back through, which Hippolyta does not do, you know, which is the least surprising thing here. Also, so in this box is actually a fucking monster. And the monster, Ida probably wanted the monster to destroy Hippolyta and also the place so so that nobody could actually get to her so that she could actually be safe and free. However, instead, the monster kills a bunch of white dudes who are trying to hassle Hippolyta as she leaves the observatory. So, nice. So all these monsters don't like racists. Do we understand racists? Mm -hmm. Monsters will eat you. Well, especially like, so Shogoths in... Lovecraftian literature are basically like slave monsters. But okay. so like they yeah, would make sense. Yeah. And other things though, I like how she was like, Hey, I'm gonna give you a box of monster though, so it's <laughs> all of you people so you leave me alone. <laughs> Honestly, mood. Biggest fucking mood I've ever ever like, fucking dealt with. Really not great for trying to be like, I want to be left alone because everybody's the worst. Here's a monster to kill you. I'm also going to be a little bit the worst. But, <laughs> but I'm also going to be a monster. But, but it's fine. <laughs> you know, just open it when you're alone. Winky face, winky face. Yikes. Um... <laughs> So all of the main characters, and I didn't, I'll 
obviously go into all of them here. I just went into some of my favorites. Um, begin to put together the pieces of their various stories and realize that Caleb has been behind them all pulling the strings. Caleb? Caleb Braithwaite, the one okay. who he killed his dad at the beginning yes. with Atticus and was like, I'll free you because I'm nice. And it's like, you definitely arranged most of this shit. Your Caleb. Yeah. Braithwaite. Too, Too many A's. Caleb Braithwaite. Too much white. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody gets together and shares their story about Caleb. At the same time, which I haven't mentioned because he hasn't been in any of my favorite stories because he's a shithead, there's this cop named Lancaster who has been also trying to kind of gain control of the Order of the Ancient Dawn. Lancaster is a douchebag name. It's true. Don't disagree. You're (laughs) Yeah. Um, So Caleb comes to them and is like, Yes, I have been pulling all the strings, but it turns out I need your help in this plot against Lancaster so that I can do this thing, blah, 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 and actually be on top of my stupid white wizard nonsense, blue, blue, blue. White wizards. Yes, exactly. I forgot about the wizards. Yes. Because the KKK calls their people, like, the Grand Wizard. Oh, yeah. Like, the top person is, like, the Grand Wizard because, like, nobody played D&D and had fun as a child. Can't all the KKK just be one of those cults that drink poisonous blade and die? That would be so great. Please just be one of those cults. But, yeah. So, first, they decide... They're like, yeah, so we'll help you with your plan, Caleb. And they're like, no, we're actually going to double-cross Caleb because he's a shithead. So they trap Lancaster and put him in a place where he ends up getting eaten by a monster, which is great. Hiram's ghost helps them learn how to trap Caleb. And Atticus, with the magic that he's learned, as well as the power of his bloodline, um, as a (laughs) ten. We really are in a... (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, fucking... Magic and bloodline powers! <laughs> but, yeah, so he is able to... Um, so Caleb had this mark on his body that was able to give him immunity from physical harm, and Atticus alters it so that instead now he can no longer perform magic, so he's powerless. What is his bloodline? It's the Braithwaite bloodline because of the weird, like... I think it's a, like, maybe they're related to Adam... Because Adam had the thing, but I like the ability to name apples, animals, and shit like that. And as that, they were like, "Oh, he's creating." They talk about Adam a lot in the book, and it's like, "Oh my you know god!" This didn't realize I know nothing about Adam and Eve other than that they ate the fucking apple. I mean, that's pretty much the like, gist of it. There's yeah. a snake, right? Satan was a snake. He gave the apple to Eve and was like, if you eat of this, you'll get the knowledge of blue, blue, blue. And then she was like, it's pretty yummy. Adam, do you want some? And he was like, yes. And that was the end. We went ruin everything. Thanks, Bible. Literally hate religion. It's pretty silly. It's also like really bad fiction. It's not even good fiction. And it, the worst part is, it could be good fiction. It could be. Oh, 100%. If it was people who There's were so many, like, interesting stories that yeah. happen in the Bible, and they're like, but also, would you like to talk about how this person is the son of the son of the son of the son of the son? Here's 14 different names you're not going to remember. Because none of them fucking matter. One of them's fucking Titus, though, with a T. With two T's, I guess it is. That's how I know Titus. 
Yeah. It's a Bible. Shit. Thing. It is a but Bible thing. It's a book in the Bible. There we go. Someone creative should rewrite the Bible. Yeah. As it should be. I would watch as that movie. Fucking, or I would read the shit out of that book. Yeah. Honestly, make weird cartoons. There's a lot of weird, weird shit that happens in the Bible that could be really fucking funny. When Elijah's like, those kids made fun of me. And then God's like, I'll make bears eat them. That's the thing that happens. Yes. They made fun of me because I'm bald. It's fine. I'll make bears eat those children. My favorite Bible verse. Also, I'm going to contradict myself in every other sentence. Mm, I mean, yes, that too. As we figured out. Episode 20. Yes, episode 20. So us. Not knowing anything about the Bible. Still we know nothing about the Bible still. <laughs> Good fucking lord. Um, but yeah, so um, Caleb had this mark that made him immune from physical harm. Uh, they reference it as the mark of Cain, which is a biblical reference. Not important. So Atticus changes the symbol so that he can no longer do any magic. And they take him and they put him in their truck and they drop him off in Indiana and they drive away. So here's a quote. Uh, Ruff's novel ends with the collected black characters responding to a magician who warns them that if they cross him, no matter where you go, you'll never be safe. And they laugh right in his face. It's like, yeah, no fucking shit. Have you realized that that's our existence? This isn't special and you're not special because of it. So uh, it's a really interesting and fascinating book. Um, It takes a virulent, shitty, racist person, and I feel like it slaps him in the face by putting a bunch of amazing black characters in the middle of all of his shit. Um, The quote is from the book, Stories are like people. Um, And it's a quote from Uncle George. Loving them doesn't make them perfect. You try to cherish their virtues and overlook their flaws. Their flaws are still there, though. They do disappoint me sometimes. Sometimes they stab me in the heart. It's like, fuck you, Lovecraft, and we're going to take this from stabbing somebody in the heart, and we're actually going to take all your shit, and we're going to make it better. Read this book. Boom. And then watch the show on HBO, because it's baller. All right. Mm -hmm. There we go. That's that. Episode 23. Boom. We all did books. We did do books. Did do books. (laughs) I've read so many books. Books, books. Good, a little prelude into Halloween. We're getting pre-spooky. Yeah, pre-spooky. Good time. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Let's yeah. um, episode please. 23. Episode 23. We want to rate, review, subscribe. Cool. Okay. So, you can find us on <laughs> Apple's Podcasts. You can find us on Apple's Podcasts. You can find us on Apple's Podcasts, Spotify's. <laughs> you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, ESO Network, and Podbean, and also Instagram at But First Let's Talk Nerdy, and you can email us at First Let's Talk Nerdy at yahoo.com. Peace. <laughs> See you next Tuesday. Shit. Whatever. I'm doing great. Everybody can suck it in. We'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs>
your phone or a game or something like that, and you fall asleep and it falls on your face and you don't wake up before you put the thing down, there might be something wrong with you. <laughs> it's not normal. It's not bad and you're okay. People still probably love you, maybe. <laughs> I don't know, maybe the next time you see your doctor talk about sleep apnea. <laughs> I haven't gotten there because we're in a pandemic and I don't need to go to the doctor right now, but you know. When she gets there. It's high on the list after all of my other problems. So, you know, it's not that high on the list. <laughs> Shit. has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.